welcome to New Persuasive Words, a podcast of hope-seeking understanding. You're invited to listen in to an ongoing conversation about theology, culture, and politics between your co-hosts, Scott Jones and Bill Bohr. Regardless of topic, Bill and Scott offer intelligent insights and critiques, sometimes funny, occasionally contentious, but always remaining friends. Now, here are Scott and Bill. Welcome back to the show. This is episode 233. I'm Scott Jones. And I'm Bill Bohr. And here we are, back in the bunker. Yeah. On a Monday. Yeah, we are here. Uh, and, um, you know, things continue to get, uh, continue to happen in, in our world. I We learned the truth is not always truth, or truth isn't truth. We learned that yesterday. Was that yesterday? Yeah. That was yesterday. So it's interesting that, you know, I actually thought this, that Joe Scarborough said the same thing I did this morning. I said it yesterday morning. It's like, this is going to backfire because for a little while, Giuliani was pulling down right, Bob right. Mueller's poll numbers. Stuff, but it just, the kind of there is. rapid fire, random, chaotic musings doesn't, eventually what? people are like, there's something wrong here. Well, it's like, you know, your crazy uncle at Thanksgiving. That's kind of fun for a while. Until they pull the table down all the time. Until it comes Christmas, New Year's, <laughs> Valentine's Day, Arbor Day, birthdays, until, until 4th I, of July. Until they throw up in the pumpkin pie. Yeah. And that, then that, that kind of puts an end to that, yeah. So, there you go. Well, Bill, today, let's talk a little bit about socialism. We thought, yeah, we were, we were lost for a topic. And it feels like a lot of people, that seems to be a consistent, these, you know, the, if you're going to have a, uh, a, the boogeyman of American politics... Yes, socialism. Socialism, that. Even though, you know, from a purest definition of socialism, we already are somewhat socialistic in certain things. Well, that's interesting. How, depending, and this, that's part of the good point, right? How do you define it? Yeah, how do you define it? So, when you think of the term, I mean, I guess without getting a fully technical political term, I tend to think of it as the, uh, a, gov- a government that seeks to serve the collective. Right. I mean, I guess the technical sense, if, the, where the worker, the means of production are owned collectively. Right. So if, you know, you, I posted something, I think, on Twitter the other day that we talked about this, I think, at the beginning of the podcast. The average CEO makes 349 times the average worker. And so if you're making, you know, Apple computers or, you know, Ford Festivas or something, well, obviously there's a specialized skill set that, that certain executives have or designers have, but do they have 349 times the skill set? That's the question. <laughs> right, right. Like how much, and then how much of capital investment people just putting money? Like, so the people that the argument would be that, that there's an, a, not an equitable distribution of the goods of the economy, right? That right, the people right. that put the most blood, sweat and tears in it, you know, become feel alienated and, and are deprived of they're just desserts, and we have massive inequality and things like that. Yeah, and then what's interesting is the group of people who can who often are the most anti, uh, at least rhetorically anti-socialist, uh, are, are people who would benefit more from it. You know, right. yeah. I mean, there's a yeah. sense where part of the great duping of the American public is for large segments of people to continue to vote for things that are against their best interest. Absolutely. And yeah. That's, that's, it seems like a very beneficial political strategy in certain election cycles to get people to motivate to vote against their interests. But, but now, I mean, you do, it is, you, you had, 
uh, who's the woman who just won in Queens? Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, her name escapes me now. Who self-identifies as a Democrat socialist. So- socialist, yeah. Uh, Queens congresswoman. Do you think that will... I might get you there. Congresswoman. Uh, did you see that she wouldn't allow the press at a town meeting the other other week? She what? She would not allow the press at a town meeting over the weekend. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. I can't find her. Uh, well, she's... Everybody knows who I'm talking about, right? The young woman who won, who beat the guy who was number three. Why can't we not? It's funny that I don't know know her name. It's like I have any name, but escapes me. Anybody's watching if you know it. Anyway, she was like, "I'm enjoying the fruits of socialism in National Park. Uh, I'm at this cafe co-op. It makes great breakfast sandwiches." This idea that, and so there's a lot of people that. It's funny because because even socialists, countries like Scandinavia that have been influenced by social democratic practices are still capitalist in the sense of they have private property, private industry. Right. There's, you know, capitalism runs rampant. It's just that there's high tax rates. They're basically really generous welfare states. So right, they're, right. They're, they're not, the, the, you don't have the collective of, you know, ownership of the means of production. Although who's the guy that's head of labor now, Jeremy, uh, in England, uh, it's not a good day for Paul. Yeah, we, we just, we're not, <laughs> I just because he's a guy who's uh, there's a lot of controversy about his anti-Semitism. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, because Tony Blair kind of drove a stake through the heart of the socialist platform and the new labor. Right, right. Tony and, Blair was kind of a Clintonian, uh, you know, like Clinton was to the Democratic Party. Tony yeah, Blair well, Jeremy, what's his face? Now he wants he's arguing for collective ownership of the railroads, <laughs> which I'm thinking, wow, that's the industry you'd go for first. I mean, railroads. Wow. Well, of course, in England, there's a, there's a history there, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting if you even see the modern labor unit unions, uh, what was going on post-World War One? I. I mean, some, I mean, this, there's a sense where there was, even in this country, there was a strong socialist kind of uh, impulse. And in many ways, you can, you know, FDR kind of paved a middle way there. Uh, and uh, ever since that, you know, there has been kind of where we got Social Security, we have Medicare. Um, there's, there's a variety of things. But see, even it's interesting, though, that this I was listening to this the commentary podcast, which would come in one of my new favorite podcasts. And although I don't politically agree with any of the people probably regularly on that thing, I find it very entertaining and educational. And but no, Rothman, one of the people, was on Morning Joe very often, was talking about this Marco Rubio's proposal that you'd be able to get part of your Social Security stuff benefits that you've paid into already early on your paid family leave to sub, I think, to subsidize your income, basically. And somebody was critical of this. Uh, somebody was critical of this in the New York Times or the Washington Post. And they were saying, well, of course, this is terrible. It should be subsidized through a payroll tax. And, or, and also, it, it buys into the myth that child rearing is an individual project and it's a collective project. And Noel Roth was going to create, like, see, here it is. It's right out of the Congress right. Manifesto. It's a child, you know, the. The collective owned state. My kid's now going to be on a on a kibbutz or whatever. I can go see them. The collective is farm. I can go see the kid. I visit. But I mean, but you know. Oh, by the way, Melinda Inman says hello. Hello, hello, hello in Texas. She's in Houston. So it's very interesting from Facebook, by the way, for our listeners on the podcast. That's uh, occasionally we have messages come in via Facebook Live. So that was from Texas. So this this you know they were talking about this sense that in American politics right now that the Democratic Party is increasingly it has it, it, voicing socialist sensibilities, right? And 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 well, it's part of them, yeah. right? Yeah, and, and this there, is the divide. Yeah, in the yeah, party. And, and there are actually some Democrats who are who are running 
more to the middle. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the things they said. The ones that want to raise money. <laughs> <laughs> well, also, you have, I mean, I read an editorial that there's not a unified message among the Democrats. And that might be to, you know, I, I think running to your district, representing your district is more important than being in step with any kind of larger uh, slogan from yeah, the party. Yeah, sure. Right, right. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and I think particularly— uh, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, it's, I think it's probably working in our district to run against Trump, but I don't think that's the case in other other congressional districts. And we'll see if it works here, because the guys, we're, we have the same congressman. Fitzpatrick. Yeah. He filmed a commercial on my street out here. Oh, very nice. Yeah, I hope he pays for some of his votes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it, was, it was very interesting. But, you yeah. know, it's interesting. So one of the points they were making is, A, like, you know, that you look at, and again, this is a conservative podcasting but it's not a reactionary we're not the conservative right, podcast right, the one you're referring not the, to. no the one i was listening to, but they were saying that i think we're radically moderate yeah sometimes. I, I don't know yeah yeah i don't think any of our conservative friends would think we're radically no. moderate but i think many of our liberal friends think we're moderate so they were talking about how you know look like you know how i think it was who ran herbert humphrey who ran herbert humphrey democratic candidate 1968 yeah he he was reflecting his memoir on a meeting with khrushchev or something and khrushchev was i think it was khrushchev was talking about how he was lamenting how the chinese were going this collectivist route right like, <laughs> and, and and how they had they realized that they needed to incentivize <laughs> and he was like well that's sorry capitalist he's like i don't apparently khrushchev's like, i don't care what you call it it works <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like khrushchev and, and, and you know the, and you see this with gorbachev with perestroika and you see right. now you know you have this communist country well, former communist communist. party right it's communist party anyway china Oh, China. Uh, yeah, right. China that, I mean, pretty capitalist economy and you can get, you know, and the idea is, well, we can be autocratic. And are people it's, becoming millionaires in China? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it, you know, it, it, they've learned incentivizing it. I mean, the question is, is can you have a free market without a free people? So they're hopefully, hoping that you can get people rich and content enough that they won't be bothered by the autocracy. But I think that's, I mean, anybody who's done business in China, and I have some friends who have done so, the, the uh, corruption is so rampant in China, as well as the lack of, of quality in terms of a lot of productivity. Matter of fact, my one friend, they were having a particular medical device built over there, and so many of them were coming, were dysfunctional, or, you know, dysfunctional, dysfunctional when they got here. They had to put one of their own men or people, I don't know if a man or a woman, there to be part quality control because they couldn't trust their Chinese compatriots to do that. Well, there you go. Well, so, so, so when you've got when you got collective, but you're letting some people millionaires. Yeah, I mean the the possibility for corruption and exploitation is 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 greatly multiplied. And so we don't really have many socialist success stories. Is what they were arguing. And you would but, say Cuba, maybe to a certain degree. Whether or not Cuba was a success, yes, but yeah, I mean, in some ways it was. Yeah, I mean, but it's always a little repressive. A little, <laughs> <laughs> always a lot repressive. <laughs> okay, yeah, but and if you don't mind driving the 1955 Chevy, you're good. <laughs> Great car. I do. I want to go. I I would like to get to Cuba before. I, I would love to go. Yeah. Get, so I can still get a. I get a picture of what my parents. What it was like when my parents were teenagers because that's kind of the cars and a lot of stuff. Oh yeah. 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 I want to take a brief moment to ask you a quick question. Do you like this podcast? Do you enjoy it? Do you look forward to listening to it while you do a morning, afternoon, or evening routine, or while you're exercising, or while you're caught frustrated in traffic? Do you tune into it? 
because of the conversations you find here. If the answer to the aforementioned questions is yes, or even just a solid maybe, would you do something for me? Would you consider becoming a Patreon sponsor of the podcast for just five bucks a month? Or more, it's for a good cause. You can help this podcast and one of the many others I do keep going. And you can help launch several other podcast projects I've got in the works. So I invite you to be a patron through Patreon of this, which I think is an art form you're enjoying and will continue to enjoy. Again, any contribution is welcome, but for five bucks a month, you will get a shout out on the thank you roll call, which begins right now. Thank you, David Babico, Ellis Brazil, David Zoll, Sari Graham, Peter Steigerwald, Samantha Blythe, David Norling, Charlotte Donlin, Barry Stewart, Larry Rule, Stephen Lipless, John Schneider, Ben Crosby, Liam O'Brien, Jim Crest, Stephen Rowe, Ben DeHart, Jordan Morseberger, Josh Redder, Jennifer Underwood, Kai Whitpenig, Simone Garabedian, Jim Kirk, Samantha Konauer, and Jordan Demays. If you want to join these patrons through Patreon, just go to patreon.com forward slash Scott Kent Jones. Thanks again for listening, and now back to the show. So, you know, they they were they were saying though that that they were talking about Jonah Goldberg's book Suicide of the West, where he's sort of arguing that people are undermining the Enlightenment ideals, and that th- oftentimes this is internal. Now it's not external to the West; it's internal, right? Because our major ideolo- ideological foe, Marxism, has kind of died, except maybe as some conservatives joke in university classrooms, it's still alive. But, <laughs> but you know, like, but. They were saying that Jonah Goldberg's... People's Republic of Swarthmore, we used to say where I lived, yeah. You know, Jonah Goldberg says that that the Enlightenment Project is counterintuitive, and humans evolve tribally and get a lot of meaning out of tribal identity, and that socialism kind of speaks to that, because they they were saying that the American experiment is like in the Enlightenment on steroids, right? Right, right. Some of it is British common law tradition and other things, but there are Lockean and other, which is British, but other Enlightenment ideals that wind up really placing the individual at the center, right? Right. And this kind of, you know, it's impossible to argue against, I think, that that free market sort of, you know, post-Enlightenment capitalism has made created more prosperity than any system we've seen, yes. you know, before that. But uh, now there's yeah. massive inequalities, there's injustices, there's, it, it's not a perfect system. It's got an awful underside and we could list, you know, we it, it's very critiquable. Uh, yeah. And I think as Enlightenment values die, I mean, it's funny. Because sometimes what people call Christian values are really Enlightenment values. And, you know, that you know, post, post-Christian post America is really post-Enlightenment America in a lot of ways. This year yeah. So what you do is, but some of the checks on that, for instance, uh, part of the, part of why you have such, um, exploitation and corruption in China, um, is because they don't, there's, there's no check. There's, there's no really check to that. It's capitalism without any kind of residue of Puritan or, you know, Protestant work ethic to it. It's interesting because it is social Darwinism. Jonah Goldberg had this guy on his podcast, uh, this Bonson, uh, Greg Bonson's son, who's Greg Bonson was a, one of Van Til's, Cornelius Van Til's students, an apologist, theologian, philosopher. His son is a 
some kind of stock market guy who made a lot of money and yeah. he's on the board of the National <laughs> Review. But he was he wrote a book apparently, which I like. To, he was analyzing. He read all these books on the financial crisis of of two thousand eight and what caused it. And, and part of his analysis was all of them are a little right and all of them missed mm-hmm. the fact that the American the American people would be in Orange County bragging about how they walked away from their three condo mortgages and didn't pay anything, picking up women, buying them drinks, bragging about this. And it wasn't just the subprime stuff. It was the fact that people also had no problem walking away from all that there was a group failure right, right. to buy into the system and, and, and all this stuff that it was not just the people selling the stuff. It was the consumers buying it. Right. And, right. and that he was saying that it was interesting studies show that they say, well, home ownership, you know, property values go up and crime was so yeah, they go up actually when there's equity, mm. but, but oftentimes when there's no equity, there's these junk mortgages. It, it's the same as rental. Like people still don't have an investment because they'll walk away from it. So, right. So it, it just goes to speaks to your point about the, the morality undergirding things. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I, you know, when I said what China doesn't have, I think we've lost for the most part as well. I don't think it's there. I mean, I think even the the opening statement when a CEO makes three hundred fifty times more than the average worker, that has very little to do with the Protestant work ethic or the Protestant sense of of what the capitalist endeavor was to be. Yeah, I know it's yeah. funny because I just had this guy on the podcast who wrote this book, Redeeming Capitalism. He has a lot of interesting quotes from Adam Smith. He says sometimes he tells his conservative friends these quotes, and they said, Smith really said that? we got to hide that from the young people. Because <laughs> yeah. Smith was not – he saw the problems with yeah. ex- excessive profiteering and things like that. Yeah, I mean, giving tax cuts to the very rich is nothing but feeding the elitist. No, this is what's interesting. We talked about this this weekend when I watched Bannon's interview yeah. on on whoever – Ari, what's this? Ari, uh, the guy that sat in for Lawrence O'Donnell. But Bannon said he wanted a 44% – he wanted the tax cut to include an increase on the rich up to 44%. No, Bernie wanted it at 50 or 52. Right now it's what, a 36 or 37? I'm not sure. No. So, I mean, that's interesting. That's a, a populist. Of course, Trump kind of listened to, uh, the, well, <laughs> listened actually, that's, to the Republican I think that's more, base. But isn't that more conservative in some levels? Because, oh, yeah. I mean, know, would, yeah, because you're not – the argument against taxing a corporation is who actually pays that tax. Right. People may actually pay that as well. I will say something somewhat – a Melinda May statement about made in China it usually doesn't mean good quality, unfortunately. Well, our, our look at your iPhone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> look where a lot of those components were made. I mean, the quality's got better, but let's face it. Uh, America's favorite stores would not exist if you took all the Chinese goods out of it. Yeah, I want to see if those Walmart voters how how the how the Sam Sam Republicans our target. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's Target, Walmart. It's not just Walmart. Yeah, and this is the thing about these tariffs. What what happens when prices at Walmart and Target go up by four times? I mean, people. <laughs> by the way, I did notice that uh, counties that have a Cracker Barrel in them vote seventy five percent Trump, and counties that have uh, Whole Foods are twenty four percent. I just read that. <laughs> that has nothing to do with China. That's just—it's uh, it's like the, the, that, that stern uh, Bernie Sanders. They got—I got seventy-eight percent of the people that go to Whole Foods but don't bring their own bags. Well, who got the other twenty-six percent? They went to Jill Stein. <laughs> but uh, this is—I mean, this is an interesting question to me. Is—is—is is, is, does something in socialism? The, the, it's interesting. One of the commentary podcast hosts was saying that he actually spe- at eighteen joined a Marxist organization. Was in there for several years, and he said the problem with socialism today is it's so vacuous. It's just a moral argument. Inequality bad. That's not. He's like when I was in involved, 
Marxism was a theory of everything. There was history to it and economics. Yeah. And you could identify the, the, the different class structures. And there was the sense of theory of everything. You could, there was an inevitability. Like it, it was a, it did have a religious component to it, right? And, and they, they were saying that, 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 that can, can people appreciate a system like liberal democracy with it, with its free market capitalist economy when it's so individualistic, right? And, yeah. and it, and it doesn't. I mean, now again, the I, I think the argument that if I were, well, I was going to say devil. I don't know if they're the, who the devil is in this argument. But <laughs> if I was playing an advocate from another, no, the idea would be, well, no, that's what civil society produces, right? And and you have free association, and that's the beauty of a liberal society that things like church and family and civil society place are the spheres for meaning. And you know, it's not a collectivist meaning in a status social sense or in a tribal sort of pre-modern right. sense that. We have these, but you know, I don't know. The, 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 the human nature is powerful and tribal and a big vision. Like, hey, we're the, the collective us. I think, especially when so many people feel like this system is not working for them. Right. And that it's interesting. I mean, are we, is, is there some sort of meaning required behind sort of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? Do these things need to be more than just a sort of, I mean, it is, this is the classic sort of, Religious Alistair McIntyre, Stanley Harawas, right? Critique of of our society, right? It's all rights and no duty, right? All yeah. entitlements, it, no values, right? And, and and it does it create an atomistic system where people are looking for something more. Yeah, I, you know, it's, I'm, I mean, it's very long biography in Washington, and and there were, I mean, it seems like there's always been this kind of hodgepodge of stuff with this American experiment. Uh, there were core very clear and core values that uh, shaped the revolutionary spirit alongside of very libertarian anti-taxation. I mean, the anti-taxation thing, um, uh, in, 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 you know, they were revolting against the taxation to pay for the defense of their western border. In other words, the colonies were the point— If you had taken the Declaration of Independence around and say, you know, Southeast Asia, which oppressed people in the 20th century, Cambodia, something— and said, "Hey, they'd say this is what these guys are rebelling against." Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it does seem a little eccentric. Yeah. You know? Well, of course, and I just you know, Ho Chi Minh read the beginning when when they declared yeah. independence. He read the beginning of the Declaration of Independence. Yeah. yeah. And then our, I started watching and that, then again, the, our the state, Ken yeah, Burns uh, documentary. Yeah, the, by the way, the State Department overruled the intelligence. Uh, and, and yeah, and he I'm, wrote all those letters to Truman, remember, and the guy, never, or, never, Truman's secretary, never gave them to him. Yeah, I mean, it, at worst, Vietnam would have been Yugoslavia. Uh, most of you don't remember that, but the, Yugoslavia was a... At worst, it could have been Yugoslavia. Well, I mean, remember the Yugo? I do remember. I had, there was a, a, guy downstairs, a guy downstairs from me at uh, Princeton, had the only Yugo I ever knew. We picked it up and moved away. Yeah, you could, yeah I mean, it's yeah. a light car. Yeah, but... You know, one of the things I do think, though, and of course, in this country, it's quite, there are libertarian meetup groups. <laughs> you know, so, so they gather. You, you know, even if they try to take over New Hampshire, do you, I, I feel like you know, the state legislature in New Hampshire is like one person in the legislature per like two thousand people. So, man, I mean, you want to really be a state legislator? That's the place to go because it really you just got to win two thousand hearts and We could do that with this podcast. We could probably just. Get a mailing address up there and just saturate through Facebook, saturate the, and get a seat. 
What if we got adjoining seats in two districts? That would be awesome. <laughs> and we just, like every so often, we just took a little shuttle flight up there and just kind of sat in the legislature. We could live podcast. Yeah, I mean, this podcast is going to be two ideas. One, that we go and run for Congress or run for state <laughs> legislature in New Hampshire. The other is do a new persuasive uh, words tour to Cuba. Because yeah. Reynolds says she's in. She says we could pick her up. We could. We could. We it's could, on the way. She's in Alabama. It's, it's kind of on the way. We could. We could just. We could. We, we could, could pick up. Um, we could pick up Ellis. Right. We could have a whole we could, Alabama we could, crew. We have old crew in Alabama. Th- that be. That could be a book. David uh, Babico's down there. He's in Pensacola. That's right on that coast. We have. A, that's a whole pocket. There we go. Do persuasive words in Cuba. It's a possibility. Yeah, it's, it's. 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 I interviewed this guy last year. This who was the Europe EU. He was the Belgian ambassador to Cuba, and then the. EU ambassador to Cuba, man, that guy, that guy loved Havana. I mean, he wrote a book called Havana about Havana, uh, and it, it's a great book, and it made me want to maybe want to hang out in Havana. Yeah. In the book, I almost uh, came close. At least the price tickets of going flying to Canada and then going to flying to Cuba. Getting there was not going to be the problem. Getting back in might have been the problem. Yeah. So anyway, but nonetheless, so I think one of the things that uh, this. Yeah, this once again shows that just jumping on the bandwagon about catchphrase may not actually serve truth. But truth, of course, is not always the truth. <laughs> truth isn't always the truth. Yeah, I, and I do, I do think you know there's something about the the liberal enlightenment spirit of America that the state doesn't create values that ought to be friendly to judeo-christian values i mean christians ought to be thankful that the state is not trying to occupy the space of the deity right right. so there's something wonderful about that right and yet also if that sort of presumes that religious communities and civil societies can provide a kind of animating spirit that gives a soul to a nation which we which there's a really checkered history of whether or not that actually can happen. Or yeah. Uh, you know, again, and I think one of the most naive things that people ever say, well, the government shouldn't be doing it. The churches shouldn't be doing it. Those are people who have neither worked for with the church or with the government. <laughs> who think that. So Yeah, so we shall see. I mean, you know, we're in an interesting election cycle, and people continue to debate these ideas, and we will continue to speak to them and maybe even speak to them in the New Hampshire legislature. Do, well, do, we, do we have New Hampshire listeners? Do we? Yeah, I, we sh- sure we do. Yes, I'm sure. All right. We do. So, if, if New Hampshire, we're we're tell us. What we, we are to open. Do. We're open to be drafted, and yeah. we we maybe we'll continue. We'll start working on our platform. Yeah, we could. I, I might start the Avenatti office up there. Uh, we can always start. We're better than Sununu. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that's the, uh, aim <laughs> we'll, high. We'll aim start high. there. <laughs> aim high. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Hey, listeners. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of New Persuasive Words. Hope you enjoyed Scott and Bill's conversation, and will join us back here next time. Until then, thanks for listening, and God bless.